Hey, good morning, everyone. I would like you to turn to the book of Jonah, which is <clears throat> a little book in the Old Testament, all right? I don't know the page number in your Bible or I would help you find it. Uh, one of those little books, if you get back to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then just move forward a few books, you'll find a little bit called the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's one of the what we call the minor prophets, largely because of its size in comparison to what are called the major prophets. Um, so this week I was having a conversation with a friend about a circumstance that has uh, come into his life. And it's a circumstance that, I mean, maybe many of us go through things like this, where an offense is received, someone misrepresents something to us, someone lies to us, someone fails to fulfill a promise. And there is in most of us a self-righteous response, okay? Most of us, I think in that circumstance, tend to ask the question, what can I do? All right? Meaning, there may be a list of responses that I can give, and, and I want to be able to look through that list and then determine which response I like the most, okay? And I think on the other side of that spectrum, as believers, when we face injustice, when we face mistreatment, when someone lies to us, misrepresents to us, talks about us, you can go on and on, create the scenario in your own life, a believer should be asking not what can I do in terms of payback, but what should I do in terms of demonstrating God's grace? You see, most of us aren't thinking, what should I do? Our tendency, because of legalism, because of self-righteousness, and a, if you will, a pharisaical type spirit, is to think, what can I do? And I think as you begin to study scripture, you start asking yourself more and more the question, what should I do? Okay? The text today that is before us comes from a book that is in many ways fascinating. It bears the name of uh, the narrator of the book. His name is Jonah. The book primarily is about Jonah's struggle with the extravagant grace of God. He is deeply troubled by God's love for his enemies. Okay, that is a stunning truth to him, one that puts him off balance for the first couple chapters of the book, and finally he, he kind of comes back to center and sees God's grace appropriately, but then you find that he's continuing to struggle with implementing a new understanding of God's grace in the lives of those that have offended him. When I read that story, I think I'm reading my biography, Okay, I think I'm reading a story that sounds a lot like my life and my struggle with practicing the grace of my Father in heaven, which is an extravagant grace. So when my friend this week told his story to me, because I love this person, I wanted to tell him, you know what, you can unleash hell on them. Let them have it. And then before those words escaped my mouth, thankfully, it was, you know what? There is always the struggle between what you can do, what feels justifiable, and what is right before God. Okay, and so that's the tension we live with. I think that tension fires a lot of what is going to be uncovered as we work our way through 
for today's purposes, the first chapter of this book. The reason I'm preaching on this text, as, uh, as pastors, we're going through a quick series that ends today looking at some of our favorite passages of Scripture. This is a Scripture that is not a favorite text to me because I like the impact of it on my life. It's a favorite text for me because it came at a crucial turning point, critical point in my personal life when I was 21 years old. And I'll give you a little bit more of how that worked out in my life when I get to the end of it. But this is the text that was preached that day when God finally shook my world and got my attention. The primary theme of the book is Jonah's struggle with God's grace. Now, as I read through the text in a moment, you're going to find that some dismiss the text due to the miraculous act of Jonah being saved from a storm when he is swallowed by a great fish. Okay, so if you're the type that's prone to fixate on details and wonder how that could happen, there's a whole lot of research you can go look at online and resolve that question. But if at the end of the day you're just curious about how that could happen, you will miss the message of this book. You will be caught up in the garnish and in the details of the story rather than understanding what is the, at the heart of the story. In fact, think of it this way. How you respond to this account depends on how you view the rest of the Bible. If you believe that God exists, if you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, this is not a big deal. It may cause you to scratch your head a little bit and you may wrestle with wondering, God, how did you do that? And what all the, God doesn't tell you because it isn't the purpose for the story being recorded. It's an account that takes place in the life of Jonah in order to bring a transformation into his view of things. In the text, you're going to see that Jonah is sent to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of a country called Assyria. It is to the north and east of Israel as we know it today. It is a rather large country that carried a lot of influence in the ancient world. The capital, Nineveh, was founded by one historically known as Nimrod. The walls of the city were 100 foot high and 40 foot wide. The city boasted a population in the ancient times of 120,000 people. It had a notorious reputation for being imperialistic, cruel, and heartless. Jonah's people have been the object of much of that venom from the city of Nineveh and the country of Assyria. And that will help you to understand Jonah's posture as you read through this text. And hopefully, as you look at Jonah, you see yourself in this story as someone who has grasped the grace of God, begins to lose grasp of it, reacquires grasp, and that's progress, right? We work to know God's grace more fully and see it worked out in our lives. And sometimes that's happening, and sometimes it's not. And Chuck Swindoll talked about progress in the Christian life. Is sometimes we take two steps forward, right? And we take one step back. And we're all frustrated by that. But that's progress, right? And so as you read through the story, I want you to kind of focus on Jonah as the main character, but on Nineveh as the antagonist. They were guilty of exacting harsh taxes from Israel as a servile state for over a century. And to Israel, if anyone deserved judgment, it was certainly the city of Nineveh. It was a city, however, of spiritually lost souls. A city that any patriotic Jew would long for the destruction of. 
And it's no wonder then as we read this account and we read the directive that's given to Jonah, it's no wonder that Jonah struggles with getting his arms around obedience to this call from God. I want you to look in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That is, its wickedness has risen to a level where it can no longer be ignored. Okay, there, there is a time in, and circumstance and situations where the judgment of God becomes essential. Nineveh has reached that kind of point. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fee, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I want you just to, if you, if you write in your Bible, circle those words. He did it to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out each to his own God. That is, they were thoroughly pagan people. They had gods of their own imagining and making. They cried out to their own God and threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Kind of the idea of a lot is something similar to what dice would reveal. Okay, The, the dice are thrown, and the number reveals an individual in this context. They said, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and all the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. It's a fascinating statement. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to try to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah replied, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back the land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before, and they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, using now the covenant name of Jehovah God. Do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This... uh, pagan country of Assyria had become the object of God's observation and then the object of God's missionary outreach. He examines the country, sees deep need, and does not bring the judgment that's deserved, but instead sends Jonah as a preacher of God's truth and grace to the city of Nineveh in order to give them help and in order to give them help. 
hope. When you understand the history of the city and of the country, it is no wonder that Jonah would struggle with this directive. This book exposes our struggles with the grace of God. This chapter in particular will put this struggle right before us. The truth is that Jonah, like us, seems more concerned for the security of his own country than for a spiritually lost people. Though he does not question their need, he clearly does not see them as deserving of a message of grace. And so he struggles. And I think this is the struggle that many of us face. We struggle to trust and obey God when the call that he gives is profoundly difficult for us to grasp as to its purpose, particularly in expressing love and grace to people that are in need. So I want to walk through this text now. I just want to identify four or five main steps as we move through it and then draw a couple conclusions. First of all, let's look at God's clear call. Verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So there is this clear and unmistakable message from God to Jonah that contains a directive to go to Nineveh, that great city, of which God is fully aware of the wickedness of it. And it's fascinating. He lets Jonah in on what he knows is going to be Jonah's problem. That its wickedness has risen up before me. And Jonah's response is going to be like, yeah. Like that's, that's legendary. That's well-known truth about the city of Nineveh. So he is a clear and unmistakable call from God to go and preach to Nineveh the city. Because their wickedness demanded action. Either the grace of God would be responded to in a faith-filled way, or the judgment of God was going to come against this city. Now, what does Jonah know? Jonah knows that the aim of the preaching of a prophet is to bring transformation to the audience. Because Jonah has proclivities against the city of Nineveh and against the country of Assyria and has reason for disliking this cruel country. Jonah is disinclined to respond to the command that God has given in an affirmative fashion. He knows that God is calling him to offer hope to a people that deserve judgment. He is simply not on board with the plan. Okay, so first of all, God's clear call. Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh a message of hope and of forgiveness, letting them know that judgment is deserved, but that hope is in the wings of God. Okay, that's, so that's the clear call of God. Secondly, we see Jonah's bold rebellion. And verse 3 is amazing. It says, but Jonah, or the idea some of your translations may say, however, in contrast to the call, Jonah, verse 3, ran away from the Lord, and headed for Tarshish. Now, what is this? This Only one word can describe what Jonah is doing. This is rebellion. Okay? It is the essence of sin. Him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Jonah has heard. It, it's, not a, it's not a question of whether audibly Jonah got the command from God. It was clear. Jonah's response is equally clear. I am unwilling to comply with your call, I find it objectionable. And so what does Jonah do? Jonah 
aims to hide and flee from the Lord. Right? So the text says, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. A little bit later, it's going to say that Jonah went down into the ship to hide. He was trying to find a secure place. And, and I hopefully as you read this, Jonah has gotten from God a supernatural revelation and calling, right? God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the word of the Lord to them. Okay, that's a supernatural encounter, right? To me then, it's a bit humorous that Jonah says, I don't want to do that, reflecting on the supernatural encounter, and decides that he's going to hide in a place where God can't see him. All right, to me, that's, there's, there's an irony in that. I have a supernatural encounter with God who finds me and calls me as his prophet to go, and I say, I'm just going to hide, and he's not going to know I'm here. But folks, that's the delusion that sin and rebellion will begin to bring in your life, that I can... I can get away with knowing the call of God and simply ignoring it. And God, sovereign, all-knowing, won't care. To Jonah, I'd like to say, au contraire. God knows where you are. God knows the calling He's put in your life. And that calling and purpose of God will not be thwarted by Jonah's childish rebellion. Now, I understand that the nature of the topic is serious for Jonah. He cannot understand why God would want to send grace to a country like Nineveh. I'm good with that. I understand. I, I, I wrestle with that same idea, that same concept. But just because I wrestle with, wrestle with the depth of God's grace doesn't mean that it isn't deep. And doesn't mean that it isn't amazing, even though I fail to grasp the enormity and magnitude of it, even unleashed in my own life. And so it's possible for you to know the grace of God, to experience forgiveness and restoration in the relationship with God, and still struggle with communicating that grace to people around you who have offended you. And so I think this points to the insanity and the impossibility of running from God, rebellion, clouding, division. Where is Jonah going? He's going to a city called Tarshish. If you're familiar with the ancient world at all, you know that Nineveh is 500 miles to the east of Jerusalem. I'm not trying to be correct up here magnetically, okay? I'm just saying. 500 miles away from Israel is Assyria, from where Jonah is. 2,000 miles to the west in a country that we know today as Spain is where the city of Tarshish is. It really is the extent, kind of one of the outer limits of the known world at that time moving west. What had Jonah done? He had simply determined that he would move as far away from the call as God as possible because that's how untenable and unacceptable he found the directive of God to be that exposed this rich and extravagant grace of God for rebels. Jonah was a man who was glad to speak for God to the good people of Israel. But he refused to speak to those that appear to need the gospel of God most. Speak to good people, fine. Speak to people that desperately need to know the grace of God because they are so broken and lost. Jonah's like, I'm not good with that. 
because they had personally offended the nation of which he was a part. And I, but here's the truth. God loves the world and sends us, you and I, to them. He raised up Israel to be a light to the nations. God's love through the gospel is equally available to the wicked and the vile as well as the civil and self-righteous. And until the grace of God, and please understand how I say this, until the grace of God at some point in your life begins to irritate you, like trouble you, Wait, God, because what Jonah's going to say in chapter 4 is, if I go and I preach and they repent, I know what you're like. You'll forgive them. And that is what Jonah found unacceptable. Do you see? So Jonah's justification for his rebellion is, 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 is this, he's troubled by the nature of grace that God is extending to people like Nineveh. He wants a God of his own making, a God who judges bad people like the Ninevites and blesses good people like Jonah and Israel. That's how you begin to think when you wrestle with the grace of God in an attempt to flee its ramifications. And what you don't realize is that you're beginning to, to diminish and undervalue and fail to treasure the grace of God that has saved you. You see, here's what happens. We get along in our Christian life. And we begin to feel deserving of of the grace that we're enjoying. May God help us to never get used to the grace of God. May God help us to live in a state of perpetual irritation that causes us to say that the grace of God is greater and stronger and more amazing than I ever dared imagine. And that that message of greater grace, when shared with the people like Nineveh, can bring transformation. It's that that Jonah is struggling with. He has a problem with God. He has a problem with self-righteousness. And he has a problem with nationalism, right? Jonah's a Jew. His people have been offended by the behavior of these people. And what I think is sad is this. Jonah is more concerned with being a patriotic Jew than he is with being a God-fearing Jew. Do you see? And I think we have to watch out for that at times in our own experience. It's easy to be patriotic, but not a good Christian. And don't mistake patriotism for Christianity. See, that's the mistake that Jonah made. Jonah thought that his pedigreed his background being part of the chosen people of God gave him special status and he failed to realize that he was an object of the amazing grace of God which God now is going to illustrate for Jonah in a very profound and beautiful way so Jonah's justification for his rebellion and then this thought God's relentless pursuit of rebels So now as you begin to read verses 4 down through verse 14 or so, you're going to see this this kind of the, the heart of this account begin to unfold. And what it's going to demonstrate for you and for I is 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 the the relentless activity of God towards his children to bring bring them back into a right relationship with him where they are overwhelmed by his grace and free to serve needy people. 
Okay? So watch what happens. Jonah goes down into the ship, thinking that God is struggling with his location, but God is not. He thinks he's well hidden and stowed, so much so that I believe verse 5 tells us he falls asleep in the, in the helm of the boat. He goes down and all is well, but it's probably, as some commentators point out, not the sleep of exhaustion, I need a good rest. It is the sleep of rebellion and tension of a heart that is run from God. Okay, and probably you, along the way in your life, has experienced that. When you're not in sync with what God wants, and sleep becomes an escape, not a respite. It becomes an escape from the reality of your life. I... I tend to agree with those commentators and think that there's probably more truth to that being the issue here than it is that Jonah is simply exhausted. So he thinks he's well hidden, but God begins to rock Jonah's boat. And here's what happens. You begin to drift away from God. You begin to say, you know what, God, I'm not comfortable with your calling, with your plans, with your grace. And you begin to move in an opposite direction of the grace of God. Here's what I promise you. God will do what he did to Jonah. God rocks Jonah's boat because he is not content with this child walking off in rebellion and disobedience. And so God in this text is going to do a couple of things. Number one, he's going to send a storm. So verse four, it says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm that arose that it threatened to break up the ship. All the sailors were afraid. Now these are ancient mariners. I don't know... there's, there's things that I look at in our day, structures that people built 100 years ago, pipes that people spun, like in this building. There's some sprinkler fitting pipes that are eight inches in diameter. They were installed with wrenches, not clamps and an impact driver. And here's the way my mind thinks. There was a time when men were men, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? When, and these men were sailors. These were sailor sailors. These are seasoned men. The storm that comes against them as a result of Jonah's rebellion is so strong that it sends terror through them. So much terror that they begin to offload goods that are on the ship. They're obviously merchants. And so to save the ship, therefore their lives, what do they do? They begin to offload merchandise, things of great value, so that they can preserve that which is of greater value. Okay? So that's the activity that they, they move into. God sends a storm into Jonah's environment, and it affects and captures people around him. All the sailors were afraid, verse 5 says. And each cried to his own God, and they threw the cargo into sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now entered the captain. So there's a storm, now there's a captain. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Jonah, in this uneasy sleep of indifference, is confronted by a pagan captain. All of the other men on the ship are crying out to their gods. And now they begin to cry out, to Jonah. Then the men on the ship begin to wonder who's responsible for all the trouble that we're facing. And they begin to cast lots or write names on sticks and draw them out. And when it's all said and done, the dice points to Jonah. 
Now, what does God do? God has his man. He is exposed. God has that much control in your life that you may be sleeping in the bottom of the vessel. God begins to rock the boat to get the attention of his prophet. And I want you to notice what happens. They say, tell us who is responsible. What kind of work do you do? That is, what is your mission? What's your purpose in life? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? He answered, and this for any, just I read this verse, I am a Hebrew, meaning I am part of the chosen people of God. I worship the Lord. And there's part of me who will say, Jonah, wait. Like, really? Like, really? You can run from God and worship God simultaneously? Really? You see, what God has done for Jonah is given him a gracious intervention through the types of pagans that he refused to go to with the good news. God puts them right in front of him. And on this boat, Jonah is forced to own who he really is and to see his own sinfulness confronted in a profound way. His rebellion against God has led he and others into a difficult position. When they heard this, this confession, this brief sermon, it terrified them. And they said, what have you done? Now, in the parentheses, it says they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. So they, they knew intellectually that Jonah was running from the Lord. But when the storms come, they know in their heart that Jonah was running from the Lord. And there's a difference. There's a difference. God is exposing the rebellion of his prophet. He is teaching him a, a lesson that he can run, but he cannot hide. That God, relentless, persistent, and gracious, will do whatever it takes to have your life for his glory. And that should cause me to say, God, where am I with you today? All right, I want you to think through your own life. This is what happened to me 38 years ago. When I was confronted with a simple question, at the beginning of a sermon, here's the question that was asked. If God today shows you an area of disobedience in, in your life that he wants to correct, will you say yes? Now, he asked that question before he preached. His name was Ron Comfort. He was an evangelist that was preaching at our church for the week. That question, single-handedly, turned my world upside down. It caused me to look at my reluctance to obey God's call to ministry in the clearest terms I had ever faced. Not because it's a profound question, but the clarity of that question. It's simple. If God touches your heart today and points you in a direction that you've been resisting, will you go? Folks, the answer to that question tells you if you have the heart of Jonah in rebellion or the heart of God being changed by God, 
to begin to submit to his purpose and plan for your life. You know, I've often heard people say, and this is typically at the context in which I heard it was kind of hyped up men's conferences, okay? Like everything's rah-rah. I remember hearing this a number of times because it was probably something that was traveling around the evangelical world, okay? Here's the statement. God is a gentleman. God is a gentleman. He will wait patiently for you. He won't force his way into your life. And I think Jonah is saying, I haven't been pursued by a gentleman. I've been pursued by the creator of the universe who has the right to every part of my life. So folks, here's what I want you to realize as you look at this. God's pursuit of Jonah in his rebellion, relentless, persistent, and gracious. He's calling him back into the fold. He's not giving him what he deserves for his rebellion because that has already been borne by a Savior. He's calling him back. He's pursuing him. Folks, there's something about the pursuit of God in your life as a believer that is at once uncomfortable and simultaneously reassuring. Okay? My dad coming home from work at night, I found to be reassuring. There was something about... My dad, that was comforting. But I also remember times when my dad was coming home from work and I had been participating in some things that he would find highly unacceptable and not being happy to see him. Same person. Same person. The difference was not in my dad. It was in me. And as a loving dad, he was there to provide and protect And as a loving dad, he was relentless in calling us to the right kind of life. And that's what God is doing to Jonah here. Relentless, persistent, gracious pursuit will never let go. But we sing that song. What does it mean to you? That God won't let you drown in the sea? No. He's not going to let you walk off into rebellion that destroys your life as his child. That's what Jonah's attempting, to hide from the Lord. Impossible, Jonah. In fact, while you're sleeping in the bottom of that boat, he's going to rock your boat. He's going to wake you up. He's going to give you an opportunity for obedience to make his name known. That's the grace of God. That's why I love this text. I don't need a God who's a gentleman. I need a God who's a great father who can protect and persuade my heart in the directions when it needs to be challenged. That's what we so desperately need. That is the God that is revealed to Jonah in this text. The story of the Bible is this story, isn't it? Think of Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fall into sin in the beginning. And it's God that comes in the cool of the day. Adam, where are you? Where are you? In John chapter 4, it's a woman who is caught in a very licentious lifestyle. Very broken and defeated. And it is Christ who comes to the well and says, I'm offering you hope and satisfaction for your ultimate desire. And that is to know God. He is pursuing Peter. 
denies Christ three times, right? And what do you find? You find Christ relentlessly pursuing Peter, though he wants to abandon the call of God in shame. God in grace restores him and brings him back. Folks, that's the story of the Bible. That's what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 9 when he's confronted on the road to Emmaus and God strikes him down and confronts his rebellion and calls him into relationship and makes him his son. That's not God being mean. That's not God being a gentleman either. It's God being God. Loving persistently, relentlessly, and graciously. That's what God does. He is long-suffering and patient and gracious. At the end of the day, he calls us to turn. And in verse 9, finally, Jonah makes a turn and responds to the grace of God. Now, let me, let me give you these simple applications. The story of my life, actually, it's not 38 years ago. It's 42 years ago because it was before I went to college. I, my senior year of high school, experienced a clear call from God on my life, and that was to go into full-time ministry. Now, you would think, oh, that's great, so happy. Yeah, but I didn't like it, <laughs> okay? I knew it was God. I knew clearly that it was his calling. But it meant some things that I was not, quite frankly, comfortable with. I grew up in a family business. And uh, this is no fault of my dad's, okay? This is on me, all right? Sat through a meeting with the lawyer, the insurance guy, and the accountant, and they were basically giving us all the reasons that we should stay in the family business and that it's going to provide for this and this and this. And I, I bought the sales pitch. Here, here's the strange truth. In my mind, as I sat there, I knew what God wanted from me. But there was something about temporal things that was more attractive than eternal things. That's just stupid. Okay? But that's me. Okay? And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> know what you're thinking, okay? So, here, so here's what happens. I'm resisting that. I don't tell anybody. I didn't tell my parents that I sense strongly, clearly God's called them. I didn't tell anybody. Because you know why? I didn't want anybody to know. Now, I want to tell you what that is for me. That was high-handed rebellion. Because here's what the Bible says. Him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now you understand why when that pastor asked that simple question, if God asks you to do something through this sermon, will you say yes? Here's what he said. He said, if you're willing to say yes, I want you to raise your hand. I was like, I was confronted with keeping my hand down and boldly saying to God, because this I was wrestling with this. Three years I was out of high school before I went to college to study for ministry. Okay, three years I had wrestled with this rebellion in my heart that was very clandestine. Nobody else knew. But I knew in my heart what it was to experience a storm with God. 
like a storm was raging. Here was my big, my biggest problem was this. I was involved in the business. I was fairly good at what we were doing. I'm not going to say I was great. I was, I was decent at it. But I would lay down in bed at night, moving towards success and unhappiness simultaneously. I want to tell you something, folks. That stinks. To get what you're wanting and be unhappy stinks. That's where my life was. I knew the call of God. I was rejecting the call of God in lieu of something else for something else that I thought would bring me what only God's call could bring me. Do you see? And it's not until we come to the place where we realize that that posture is rebellion and that the posture of Jonah in this text was clearly rebellion. But it's easy to see Jonah's rebellion, right? And not see my own. This is the text that that guy preached on that day. And he made an uncanny observation that every time you step away with God, there is a necessary and inevitable progression downward. And he pointed to things in the text, but the text kind of, Jonah goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the ship, and when he's thrown out of the ship, he goes down into the belly of the whale. there wasn't a lot of upside in rebellion against God. And as that truth laid hold of my heart, it brought a very powerful and beautiful and wonderful breaking moment for me. When I finally said, God, I surrender my life to your plans and your purposes. So the first thought in application is there is a decided trend in the life of rebels it's downward, distinctly downward. It takes you into a storm. Secondly, hope for rebels is revealed in the experience of Jonah. Okay, now I want you to understand this. In the story of Jonah being tossed into the sea, being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, and being spit up on shore once he comes to a point of brokenness is a greater picture, Right? Because that story, as you read that, little bells, New Testament bells should be ringing in your mind. That in Matthew 11, Jesus would say to people that are saying, give us a sign. He says, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Jonah is thrown into the storm so that others might be saved. And on the third day, God restores him. Jesus Christ is thrown into the storm of your rebellion. He takes the wrath of God, that wind of God's wrath that was coming against you. He steps into it and does not live in the grave. He dies to bear the wrath of God for your sin and to set you free. God saves the world God saves rebels like Tim Hoff through the greater Jonah, Jesus Christ. 
Jonah goes into a storm that he deserves to deliver others from it. Jesus, the greater Jonah, dies in the storm of wrath that we deserve to deliver us from it. And on the third day, is raised from the grave. You see, it's a greater miracle. Jonah goes in alive, comes out alive. Jesus goes in dead and comes out alive. Jesus says, you want a sign that God is at work? There is no greater sign than the one that is anticipated in the life of a rebel. Folks, understand this. A rebel like Jonah is used to typify the person of Christ because Jonah is the kind of people that God works through. He ignores their rebellion. He pursues them. He rocks their boat. He brings them to a place of repentance and saves others through them. That's what God does. That's what God does. Hope for every person in this room today is not found in religious effort like Jonah had, but it is found in the simple faith response of Nineveh, who deserving the wrath of God, they find that God's grace offered in chapter 4 and verse 2 is greater than their sin because the wrath they deserve is borne by God himself in the person of his son. Here's what I want you to know. Nineveh was a city that deserved the judgment of God. Nineveh was a city that found the grace of God when Jonah went and told them the truth about God. Folks, there's no hope in self-salvation. There's no hope in religion. Hope is found in what is pictured through Jonah and ultimately clarified in the work of Christ that he went into the storm of God's wrath that I deserve. He died to bear the consequence of my sin for the wages of sin is a death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So maybe you're here this morning and say, okay, I'm a rebel. I got some of that in me. Maybe you're going through a season of walking away from God where God's been calling and you've been ignoring and you sense a storm beginning to brew. I want you to know that if you step towards God, He will come and rescue you. He'll come and save you. He doesn't care how sinful you are. That's proven by his call to Nineveh. You couldn't be worse than that, folks. Trust me. But he offers salvation to Nineveh simply because they desperately needed it. I want to encourage you this morning to realize that once you understand the gospel of God, the truth of his grace, relentless, passionate, and gracious, you will no longer cruelly exploit like Nineveh did, nor be righteous in selfish ways like Jonah was. But you will become willing, bold, and compassionate witnesses to God's undeserved favor in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you might find along the way that that grace is a little bit irritating. But just remember your own story, saved by grace. And God will cover that irritation and cause you to revel in and rejoice in the grace of the God who loves rebels like you and I. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. I would encourage you this morning to say to God, God, I understand today 
that I'm a rebel in need of your grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I deserve your judgment, but I understand that your son stood in my place on the cross and took the storm of your wrath that I so deserved. And he says to you this morning, whosoever will may come. Come confessing, come trusting Jesus. Don't start to be religious today. Don't do that. Trust the greater righteousness of Christ, which covers all your sin. Father, as we come this morning, we come from different places. We come with different struggles. Some of us come this morning moving away from you, Lord, strangely. Oh, God, help us to hear the call to Jonah. To your son, Father. To your daughter, Father. Saying, come home. Come home. Give up your rebellion. Trust in Christ. Maybe this morning you just need to let that simple question flow over your heart this morning. If God points in a specific direction right now, what is your answer? What is your answer? Father, I thank you for your gracious pursuit of each one of us. Thank you that you are the God that changes hearts. Thank you that we don't need to get it. Thank you that you are the God that changes hearts to believe the gospel and to repent and to find hope in Christ. So Father, I pray that this simple text would bear fruit in our lives today. And we pray this for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...